You're listening to the PWBA Podcast, the show about the current superstars and legends of the Professional Women's Bowling Association. Join Bold TV's Neil Williams Jr. and Aaron Smith as they bring you a collection of stories, history, and the latest happenings from the best women bowlers in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number two of the PWBA podcast. My name is Emil Williams Jr. Of course, pleased to be joined by Aaron A.A. Ron Smith. And today's guest is none other than Queen B herself, uh, 2018 U.S. Women's Open champion, Liz Culkin. Uh, pleasure to join us, Liz. Thank you very much for taking some time out of, uh, I know, what is a very busy schedule for you these days. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. We want to uh, start the the convo, of course, with, uh, you know, obviously what has taken over the world, our country, is the coronavirus, COVID-19. Uh, we had a chance recently to speak with Erin McCarthy, of course, who was a registered nurse. She's on the front lines. And I think we recently found out that you are also on the front lines, but in a different way. Um, as part of uh, uh, Price Chopper's team, of course, you work at a grocery store. And I think we've all heard a few stories about what's been going on. Uh, in grocery stores. So let's kind of start there and, and uh, talk about your experiences so far, and what you've seen um, in, in the state of New York, which is kind of one of the epicenters of what's been happening lately as well. Yeah, so I've been working for Price Chopper now for eight years, I would say. I started when I was in college, and it's always been a part-time thing, obviously, something to do during the off-season, just another way of getting some income and staying busy, quite frankly. Um, and I can tell you, with these eight years I've worked, I've worked, I've never experienced something like this. And just to put it also in perspective, my father actually works at the same store I do, and he's been working in grocery for 45 years. So obviously a lot longer than I have, and he has never seen anything like this. And really it just has almost humbled me and just really put things in perspective to what people are going through and how people have reacted to things. And Really, it's almost been kind of an honor to help people through this and be able to be there not only to help the store, but help other people because everybody is really going through a hard time right now. And obviously, you guys spoke with Erin, and she's obviously in a different predicament than I am. And I think it's incredible what all of them are doing. And also, what I'm doing there is a different perspective, but it is also a way to help people. So that's been nice, too. Just curious how, uh, if you could kind of walk us through your timeline, if you will, from, you know, how you handle business at the store prior to what we now know as a kind of normal life, if you will, up until when things really started to kind of go up a notch and you started noticing differences here, differences there. People are are listening to, you know, kind of what they're hearing from the media and, and various other health professionals and what you started noticing at the store. So I would say that when it really started to go down was it was a Wednesday. I was bowling league, actually. It was, it was a Wednesday night. I believe it was March 11th. And that was the day that the NBA announced that they weren't continuing their season and that Tom Hanks had announced that he had COVID. And that's really the night that I remember I was at league. And I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is going to be very serious because there had been some talks about it, but before then, really things hadn't gotten very serious. And then I remember I went to work the following day, Thursday, and still things were being talked about, but it wasn't as serious yet. There was a little bit more flow and traffic as far as shoppers, but when I really started to see it was that weekend. 
which was Saturday, March 14th is when I went to work. And just by the time I got there, which is 8 a.m., there was no bananas, no potatoes, no um, canned goods. I mean, this is my, the store I work at is a very big store. It's actually called Market Bistro because there's a bistro attached to it, a chef's grill and everything. And this is a very popular store and there's a lot of workers and it's very well stocked. I had never seen the place where there's bare shelves, no product. I mean, people were honestly in, in a panic. They weren't sure if they were going to be laid up in their houses for two weeks or if grocery stores were going to close or food supply was going to get low. But that weekend, and the entire following week was just absolute mayhem every day, just going in, trying to set up the department, trying to help everybody, trying to kind of calm customers' nerves a little bit as much as you could. At the same time, trying to keep yourself safe because you know that you're putting yourself at risk coming in contact with so many people. Now, when you talk about, uh, obviously, safety is first in this situation, what type of precautions are you taking ahead of this uh, now that you guys are a few weeks into this? So during all this whole pandemic, Price Chopper itself had come out and we were initially, you know, originally a 24 hour store. So we were open all the time. While this was happening, an announcement came out that we would be closing at 10 p.m. and we would reopen at 7 a.m. So during that time, it not only gives the employees a chance to restock the shelves, because people were at the point where they're kind of grabbing off of pallets. You're never having a chance to actually put the product on the shelf, but it also gives employees a chance to sanitize the place and, and clean it and give a little bit more um, cleaning precautions than maybe before. So there's comfort in that. And uh, for myself, there's never one point where my bare hands are, are touching anything in that store once I get there. Um, I not only wear uh, latex gloves, but I wear cotton gloves that you can get at CVS, and then I wear the latex gloves over them, which I honestly always did before this even happened because I have eczema on my hands, and it actually would comfort me with that, but there's never any time I do not have gloves on in that place. Um, sanitize my hands probably a dozen times a day, wash my hands probably upwards towards that as well, and... Um, they have also implemented now um, a six-foot rule. So really with customers asking a question, which is kind of awkward because when somebody asks you a question, their natural response is to come up to you. Well, now it's more you really almost have to take a step back, and they're actually asking you to nicely ask customers, please, I need the six-foot social distance, and that's something they've really tried to implement as of late. It's interesting. What once was a was a just a hey, can you please get out of my personal space? Is now like legitimately please yeah. observe the six foot rule. Absolutely. It's it's really it's difficult because you don't want to be rude, and it's obviously the people the customers know it's not about being rude. But right. I mean, also something that's come up is uh, Instacart, and um, Instacart is literally people shopping for other people's groceries because they do not want to come in the grocery store. And everything is on the cell phone. So it's, do you know where this product is? You know, and it's, it's something where they have to get close to you to show you what's on their phones. And that, that's a problem too. So I know there's been talk with Instacart company trying to figure that out. There's just a lot of hurdles with all this. 
Now, when you mentioned uh, when when you mentioned the part about people, you know, basically taking stuff off the pallets, you know, all of a sudden that almost gets to the uh, you know Black Friday sales type of craziness that you've seen before. Uh, but at your store specifically, you know, we hear so much about people uh, buying one or two items just in bulk, and obviously toilet paper, the big one. What's the weirdest thing you've seen someone kind of stock up on so far in these uh, first few weeks? Honestly, I actually already mentioned it, but bananas. Like, I don't get the bananas because, like a lot of produce, um, it's perishable, so it goes bad. It doesn't make sense for me for you to buy 10 bundles of bananas because they're going to go bad at the same time. You're most likely not going to be able to eat any of them before they go bad, at least all of them. So that was that was bizarre to me, but there's a lot of um, – uh, canned goods I can understand like some of the applesauce a lot of applesauce like I the other night I tried to make a lasagna I was going to make lasagna and I couldn't find ricotta anywhere the ricotta cheese and I'm like you know this is something I was so excited to make I don't understand that either some of the cheeses uh, pasta is a big thing rice all that kind of stuff just literally for a while there was a point where we just couldn't keep the shelves stocked at all I will say now that it's been a couple weeks, um, it's been pretty well stocked now. Things have kind of calmed down a little bit as well. I mean, there is a very high flow of traffic still for grocery shopping, but they've also encouraged if you go grocery shopping, don't make it into a family field trip. So in other words, have dad go get the groceries. It's not dad, mom, and Sally, Sue, and Jack, you know what I mean? So that's something too that has helped. Good point. I think, um, I don't know if you mentioned this, but, and we may have forgotten to ask, but just in case, uh, where do you work within the store? So I work in the produce department. So, uh, I'm a produce clerk, so I am on the floor stocking everything in produce and just kind of keeping the floor full. And I do deal with a lot of customers just, you know, asking questions in the store, just wondering where things are. But honestly, I would say the people that are most at risk that work in the store, the front end workers. So the cashiers that um, deal with checking out customers and they have made a couple different, they have taken it a couple different steps to protect the workers. They put up a uh, glass plexiglass right in front of where you would check out. And also if you use reusable bags, which the ironic part about this story is that New York state banned plastic bags on March 1st. Um, hmm. so people bring in reusable bags so that they carry their groceries out. If you bring in a reusable bag now, the cashier and baggers are not allowed to bag your groceries because obviously your reusable bag came from where your house, your car. So that's been kind of difficult to implement because a lot of the people that bring them in may be elderly and you can't help them pack their bags. And it's another thing that you just run into, but at this point it's just for everybody's safety. Oh, what an interesting, uh, yeah, obviously, tale of events, but interesting point of view. I was really looking forward to today uh, to really get an idea because, you know, we, we hear some things and, you know, you see what you, you know, read or hear about on the news about specifically about grocery stores. But I was really looking forward to uh, you just kind of describing kind of firsthand uh, some of the things you, you have experienced. And the bag situation is, you know, I just think about when I go now, we always use reusable bags. So, you know, I didn't even really think about that until you said it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's those kind of things that you ha- didn't really think about before that you kind of have to think about. I mean, I, I do want to mention that throughout all of this, and I actually made a Facebook post about this, um, a lot of people have been very grateful, very complimentary, you know, thank you for your work. We appreciate what you're doing and kind of just people coming together a little bit as much as you can during this time, even though it's really confusing and really difficult to really be calm about the situation really has um, progressed to the point where people are kind of coming to terms with the situation and just thanking us for being there. So I do want to mention that it's not all doom and gloom, as I would say, but I mean, there has been some wild things that I have witnessed in the past couple of weeks being there. That's for sure. Well, we'd like to thank you as well for uh, helping the uh, good folks of the Schenectady area, keeping them, uh, <laughs> keeping them essential. Um, you, men- you mentioned uh, you were bowling league on March 11th. So uh, when was the last time you actually got to be on the lanes? So that was the last time. That was <laughs> March last time. 11th. Okay. You know, I really think that the center that I bowl in, I, I think I could figure out something where I could go in and bowl. Um, I'm very good friends with the proprietor, and I think he would let me go in there. But I almost don't want to put him in that position, um, especially with how things are right now in New York. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm about three hours north in New York City, so the worst of it is 100% obviously in New York City. So a lot where I live in Albany or close to Albany it is in that. This isn't to that point, thankfully, and hopefully it never it never is. But it's still, you know, something to take seriously. And I, I don't want to put him in the position where he has to make a decision. And, and you know, we have to. I'll probably figure that out at some point if things start to get better. But the last time I've physically been in a bowling alley, bowling on a lane, is March 11th, and I can tell you, period, the end. That is the most I've ever gone without bowling in. I don't even remember how long. And I think I saw a post on social media from you a couple days ago where bowling ball and maybe a few uh, couch pillows set up. So uh, anything you're doing at home, just trying to stay sharp, kind of keep, keep it going. Yeah. I mean, and I think I actually got this idea from a couple of the other ladies I've seen. Verity Crawley did it. Shannon O'Keefe has done it. And it's literally just a way for you to just have your release, the work on your release, kind of, you know, your fundamentals and stuff. It's very, it's, very doable to be able to do one steps and literally I've just been in my basement um, with a rug. I, I don't suggest anybody throwing their bowling ball on a bare basement floor, but I just want you plan to rug. use afterwards though, right? No, no, exactly. <laughs> that would be a really loud noise. My mom would be like, what are you doing? So <laughs> I, I've been using the rug and the pillows and I mean, it just gives you something. Obviously it's not what you want, but it just gives you a chance to just have the ball in your hand, be able to, release it. I want to uh, just briefly go back to uh, Price Chopper real quick. I know you mentioned your dad worked has worked there uh, within the company at some point for 45 years, which when just thinking about and and saying about those years is is remarkable itself. Um, How has what he has experienced over his over the course of his time and then some of the things you, you you both have experienced now, I guess, together? Uh, helped you in any way, shape, or form to kind of help get you guys through this particular period in life? Yeah, I mean, my dad has always been 
a really hard worker when it comes to work. And I, I knew that, but now that I kind of work with him now, cause we actually do work in the same department. He's the manager of the produce department. So uh, just to be able to see how he actually works at work now and how hard he works and how he deals with customers. And I mean, it's kind of, you know, I think every person for the most part is a development of their parents and, and how they've, you know, been raised and everything. And I've kind of seen how he handles things and he's pretty, at this point, he really just like throws himself into his work. So he kind of just has a task at hand. Okay, we want to make sure the department looks good. We want to make sure we look full. Um, and he kind of has a, a mindset as concentrating on that. And um, that's what he's going to do for the day. He really doesn't look very much into things. Obviously, he's being safe. He knows this is a serious situation. But at the same time, I think he also realizes you can only control what you can control. You know, keeping yourself safe, keeping yourself sanitized, washing your hands, whatever. And I think because of that, I kind of have a way about myself where I kind of think the same way. Um, I would like to think maybe I'm a little bit more, um, I recognize what's going on. I remember to do things. My dad is so into his work sometimes, he kind of forgets about the washing your hands and paying attention to things. And I am there, so I get on him about it. But I think more than anything, he's kind of just taught me to control what you can control. Um, and I feel like that's really hard to do at this point because you have so many things being thrown at you and so much information being thrown at you every day that it's hard to feel that way. But I feel he's taught me that's the biggest thing, that you can control what you can control. And um, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And the most important thing is how you react to it. So, Very interesting uh, side story for me personally. I can relate. Uh, obviously not to the, the the virus part of what we're doing now or going through, but I used to do a little work with my dad. I used to work at a wholesale grocery store and uh, so it'd be a summer job for a while. And then, you know, I'd come home from school and go work for a few weeks or a couple months at a time. And then when you mentioned pallets, it just brought me back to the days where we had to unload pallets and, you know, wrap stuff and all kinds. And I was just like, Oh goodness, this is, this is bringing Brought me back. back to the good old days. <laughs> That's a lot of hard work. Yeah, definitely. How fast, could, how fast could you unload a pallet right now, Emil? Oh boy. Uh, I, I tell you what, it would probably be the best workout I've had in, in quite some time. <laughs> so I may need to go out and help somebody uh, if, if they need it because. You have the experience. I'm sure you could go to any one of your local stores and they'd be happy to have you. <laughs> it, it's been a minute. But uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so to, from transitioning to uh, what you just mentioned, how has some of the lessons and the things that you've learned from your dad now translated into your life as a professional athlete? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, not only my dad, but also like my mom. I mean, both of my parents have, I mean, I think they're great people. They've really, they've always been very supportive of my career, obviously. And I think every athlete tells the same story about growing up and they drive you all over the place and they bring you to every event and they buy every bowling ball you ever wanted. And I mean, that's kind of how things were for my parents. I mean, we didn't grow up super rich. We were middle class, you know, they always did whatever they could for me. And that's always kind of stuck with me. That's why um, everybody always comments about when I, when the U S open, I made the comment on my mic about thank you mom and dad for everything you've done for me and that's something I think I've always dreamt about able to do and thank them in that way obviously I've always thanked them but they've always been so supportive of me 
and they've really implemented a lot of different mindsets for me as far as working hard. And, um, you know, I know this is cliche, but chasing your dreams and achieving your dreams. I mean, that started with just getting a college degree and being able to be a student athlete. And now obviously it spilled into being a professional and just becoming a professional. And now it's, I won my first title and then I won my first major and then I won a gold medal team USA. And I mean, all of these things is because I had encouraging supportive parents and encouraging family. You know, I have a brother that's super encouraging as well. And I feel very blessed to be able to say that. And it's, I, I, it's very nice to be able to lean on people like that, especially going through times like these. I mean, to have a support system at home, um, after going through everything we do every day, my father and I at the store to come home to my mom. I mean, it's just been, it's been a rough time for everybody, but having good folks at home helps a lot. Derek, right? Your brother? Yeah. Yeah. Derek, he right. actually, he lives in Kentucky. So, and he also works at a uh, grocery store. So it runs in the family and he's dealing with the same kind of things. Uh, maybe not as severe since, Luckily in Kentucky, it's not as bad as it is in New York, but he deals with the same thing. So I just called him yesterday. Yesterday was his birthday. So we had a nice conversation about comparing our grocery store stories. <laughs> Abby belated to him. And he, he has watched uh, several live streams, of course, over the Yes, he is very involved with the Bold TV chat. And I have actually had some conversations with him because he kind of gets a little defensive. I'm like, Derek, these are just people. You're never going to see these people like – but he like knows people on a first name basis that like cracks me up. Like people Bolt that are in Bolt the TV battle. chat is, is very personal. It's lit. It it's lit. I've never seen anything like it. It's lit. <laughs> oh, Liz, you mentioned, uh, you know, your, your U S open, our U S women's open victory, uh, back in 2018. And obviously, uh, that moment's gotta be up there, but, uh, through your career, obviously it kind of worked out for you time-wise, uh, being a rookie in 2015, but uh, just kind of talk about your career up to this point. Obviously, you had to win early, uh, took a few years back, but now you're a top flight contender at every event. Just uh, kind of talk about your journey through the PWBA through these first five seasons. Yeah, so I mean, when I graduated from Nebraska, I had just, I'd won D1 Player of the Year. I had won Nebraska Female Athlete of the Year. Our team had won a national championship. I mean, I was sharp. I felt really good about my game at that point. And um, I was practicing six days a week at the Nebraska facility. So when I went on tour in 2015, I was, I was ready. You know, I was sharp. My game was probably at the peak of it, of what it was going to be at the time. And um, I, won, I won quickly, which I think, looking back on it now, is a blessing and a curse because I was happy. It was a blessing to win, but at the same time, I kind of took advantage or took for granted, I should say, my ability at the time. So, okay. I didn't practice as much as I should have. So maybe I, I, I really felt like, well, I'm doing it right. I want to, I want a title, you know, I'm doing fine. And I really took that for granted. I'll be honest with you. I look back on it now and I was silly. I kind of thought, okay, this is going to be easy. You know, I went out on tour and won, you know, I'm a young kid, whatever else. And that's, was bad. <laughs> that was really bad. And honestly, I went through a two, three year stretch there where I was mediocre and I'm not afraid to say that I was not practicing as much. I was um, not paying as much to my health. So I was not eating as well. I started to gain some weight. My fundamentals weren't as good. My swing got bad. My swing got away from my body. 
it was just, it was not good. I actually bowled 890 during that, that couple years. And I, you know, guys would probably laugh at this and anybody watching probably will. I don't like to look at that video because I was not throwing it well. I was really dropping the ball. My projection was horrible. And while I like to watch the end when I got it and I hugged my dad and everything and it was fun, I look back on the video itself of me bowling. I'm like, Liz, oh my God, you were so bad. Like, this is not good. <laughs> and I kind of, I had a, um, when I signed with Brunswick in 2018, I kind of had a different, it was a change. And I feel like sometimes an athlete needs that. They need something to change to really get them motivated. And when I talked to Chuck Gardner and Bugsy Kelly at Brunswick, they really made me feel like, all right, Liz, we want to get you back on track. We know you're a great player. We know what you're capable of. So let's really start things fresh again, basically. And I had gone to Team USA trials, and I had made Team USA for the first time. And everything after that point, I felt like I gained some confidence. So then after I made Team USA, I practiced really hard before the 2018 season. And it was just motivating to me to have that kind of support from Brunswick. And then I was able to um, – make the U.S. Open show and, and win there. And then I made a couple more TV shows. And it's almost like every time you set a goal and achieve it, you get a little bit more motivated, a little bit more confident, and you and you see what you're capable of. And now um, last year, unfortunately, I didn't win. Um, but I made, I want to say, four TV shows. And I was in the top ten again in earnings. And it just – I, I'm really looking forward to this year, whenever this year starts, which is something probably else you want to talk about. But um, I'm really feeling like I'm at the point in my career where I'm not a rookie anymore, obviously, and I'm not quite a veteran. I'm somewhere in the middle. And um, I was really ready to make a splash this year again. Well, you shot 299 last year, too, and I made the show again <laughs> at the U.S. Women's Open. So that was, I mean, I'd say those are pretty solid. 299 on the show. Yeah, they were awesome. It was fun. That was fun, even though that's the most expensive nine pin I could ever leave, but that's okay. <laughs> I was rooting for you on that show, not, not going to lie. You know, we're supposed to be objective when we're in the booth, but, you know, it's rare to get an opportunity to call a 300 uh, in a final I, I love listening to it because Stephanie also, Stephanie Johnson, was in the booth. And she was like, she was wild about it. She was going crazy. She was like, I am so nervous. <laughs> it was like, it was like the 100 percent real feels in that yeah. booth on the 12th shot and then it was crazy it was crazy um during that during that time and it was a great question from aaron um uh, I, I assume we would know some of the favorite moments but is there a favorite moment outside of what we might assume you know outside of the u.s women's open title and the, and your first win are there a couple of other favorite moments that maybe is not uh is easy to see to the untrained eye, if you will. So I have two, actually, I would say that maybe, maybe people may think of, but maybe not as popular. One was the 2019 U S open show. Um, I know Aaron did a little piece with me about my infected finger. So like, mm -hmm. I literally remember a point in match play where I turned to Jordan Richard, who's my roommate and one of my best friends. I said, Jordan, I'm not going to be able to, finish like I I'm gonna have to withdraw because I am number one embarrassed okay because I'm not throwing the ball 
the way I want to because I am in so much pain at this point. And number two, the pain. I'm not going to be able to get through the pain. Like this is, this is horrible. And to be able to somehow get through that pain, which you guys had an interview with Erin McCarthy. She was one of the people who helped me with that. And to be able to find a way to bowl and then make the show was just very, it was awesome to me. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That was one of the just overcoming adversity. One of the biggest I've ever in my career to make the show was just wild to me. Um, and then second, which I think a lot of people probably maybe know this was winning. This isn't an individual thing. It was winning the trio's gold medal with Missy and Jordan. I mean, I have never been that nervous to throw a bowling ball in my entire life was when in that 10th frame to throw the first strike against Columbia. I never been that nervous. And Mark Baker could probably tell that because he came over to me and said, all right, just give me one shot because I literally was about to, you know, have a heart attack on the lanes because I was so, so nervous to make that shot. But experiencing that and winning the gold and experiencing it with two people that you're close to was one of the most memorable moments of my career, hands down. I think for a lot of people, when you talk about throwing a big shot like that in a moment like that, the, you know, we'll go back to 2014 as a part of junior team USA winning the um, doubles gold as well. Uh, I, I know Matt Canizaro was there, was there for that and got to uh, kind of talk about <laughs> that. But, uh, you know, looking back at that, you know, that was kind of, kind of the first time we got to see, or a lot of folks got to see Liz Culkin perform in the clutch. So talk a little bit about that moment too. It's just a, a, uh, a big stepping stone for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm laughing because Matt, I'm sure you, you remember the call. I, I like Tigerwood fist pumped when I struck <laughs> and Matt made Matt and Lucas Wiseman thought it was just like the greatest thing ever. And Lucas actually made a, a gif of it and it went viral for a little bit of me just literally like fist pumping like this. And, you know, I like to always think my entire athletic career, not just bowling. I've always been a very enthusiastic person. I've always wanted to win. I don't like to lose. And that's just always how it's been. And that's obviously overflowed into my bowling career where at Nebraska, when I was a sophomore in college, I got to be the anchor. And obviously you're in a lot of pressure situations as an anchor in college bowling. And that kind of prepped me for that. And then when I got chosen to go to the youth world championships in Hong Kong, being in that moment, that was really the first moment in my team USA career to win any sort of anything. And to do that with Sarah Loker, who was also one of my very good friends and to throw that shot and strike and have Kim in the background, coach Kim, like throwing her hands up like this. I mean, you don't, you don't write that up any better than that. So that was really exciting and it did prepare, prepare me for other things in the future. Are there any additional um, Team USA moments, some of the favorites that you can, you can think of? Because I do remember actually watching the trios and uh, I, I recalled Mark Baker and did, you know, going over to you and I was just kind of imagining what he was telling you uh, at that point. And, and in my head, I'm like, okay, Mark, you, you don't know if you know Liz that well yet, but uh, she 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 can get a little energetic. And uh, but I assume he was saying, you know, there's one more shot, or you know, regroup, if you will, to to make sure you're you're in preparation to, to throw the best shot possible. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest thing for him. For me, he could tell that I was, like, amped, that I was very excited because Bakes has gotten the chance to know get to know me over the last couple years uh, just by being on Team USA, and he's a big baseball guy too, so we talk baseball all the time. But some other moments, I think the whole world championships, honestly, I could think of a lot of different times where you just look around and you're around players like Shannon O'Keefe, Danielle McEwen, Stephanie Johnson. I mean, these people are your teammates. You're literally bowling for your country with players like that. I think in general that's just an honor in itself. Um, I know there was a couple times during the event where I was maybe struggling or I was nervous. I was very nervous to bowl team event, just qualifying period. I mean, it wasn't even for really anything at the point at that point. And I was just <clears throat> nervous. Both Jordan and I were pretty nervous. Um, and Shannon O'Keefe said to me, Liz, just autograph it. And I, I looked at her and I was kind of like, what are you talking about? And she meant just be Liz Culkin, you know, go and throw your shot, you know, mix the pins around, throw them all over the place, do your strike thing and, and autograph it. And I literally thought of that the rest of the tournament. Um, so that was in team events. So third trios and, and that was something that stuck with me. So just hearing different little things like that, different, um, you know, suggestions as far as like maybe fundamentals, different things like that, ball suggestions, just being able to talk with different players like that, that are very talented, that are veterans, that have been on Team USA for a long time. I'm just really grateful for those moments. Yeah, that's um, yeah. Those are the things you know. I, I know Matt would talk to this uh, as well, being kind of getting to see the Team USA aspect of it up, up close. Uh, how much of that, you know? Now that you're back in it from, obviously, the Nebraska career was extremely successful, I believe two NCAA titles. Um, but what was it like getting back into the team aspect of it for you, since that was such a big part of, uh, you know, the collegiate experience and PWBA, you're kind of on your own, it's more individual, but getting back in the team aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons why I love Team USA so much. I mean, besides the fact, obviously – being able to represent your country and being a part of a team that are made up of so many different talented players. It is just being able to compete as a team again. I mean, and I think we all really look forward to that every year that we get to go to team camp and all these team events is because we do get finally a chance again to participate as a team because you really don't. And it's funny with team USA because you're bowling with ladies that you literally take all summer trying to beat. Um, so you really just need to take a week of your time where you come together and we always do, you know, because we're all friends and everything, but it really is an awesome feeling to be able to have that team environment again, because I love it. I've always been a team player when it comes to that. I love being able to get pumped up with other players and it's something I always look really forward to. Did you miss team trials this year? I did. So that was super upsetting. Um, I actually, I had pneumonia in Christmas time and it overflowed into New Year's day and everything. And it was just not smart for me to try to uh, travel during that time period and try to get on a plane and everything. And uh, I had emailed coach Rod Ross and talked with him a little bit and 
um, put my resume in and luckily they liked me enough to choose me again. So here we are and a member of 2020 for Team USA. And I'm very grateful and honored again. So that's because you autographed it. Autographed it. Standard <laughs> <would say. laughs> um, so you mentioned the 890 earlier uh, in this conversation and just want to you know bring that up again. And, and of course, 879 that also have uh, on your resume. I mean, can you just, you know, walk you know, viewers, listeners through like what those experiences were like, what you were feeling when you had these opportunities. I mean, I can really only imagine because I just don't strike enough to to even be in the ballpark. So what was that like? It was an out of body experience, I think is the best way that I can describe it. I mean, I want to revisit something really quick because I don't want, I know earlier I kind of spoke as if I was like, you know, I hate my anandi. No, I'm, I'm very proud of that, and I know that is, that is a super accomplishment, but it was just a way of kind of looking back at how I was throwing the ball. And yeah, how you I were speaking as an athlete, self-critiquing. <laughs> yes. So I don't want people to be like, great, you know, she shot 890, she doesn't even care. No, but I, <laughs> I was out of my mind when I shot 890. I mean, when I shot 890, which was in October, it's kind of funny because people think because I bowled that, in the same year, the 8979, people kind of thought that they were like back to back. Um, they definitely weren't. They were like months apart. But the 890, I bowled back to back 300s, and I had never done that to that point. So that was, I was super excited about that. But you I was be. also, I was feeling it. So I was, I was getting a lot of carry. I mean, I was also throwing the ball really good, and then I was hitting the one three and the pins were falling. There was no ring tens. There was no, you know, smash sevens. I just felt good. The way my ball reaction was, I hadn't moved very much all night, which is not something that usually happens in league. And, uh, the first shot of the third game, um, I left a smash eight. Mm. <laughs> and that hurts me even more. <laughs> people, people may not want to hear this, but this is, this is what I said. I said to my dad, I said that that's going to cost me 900. And I, I said that to him. I, I really did. And he'll, he would vouch for that. And I, people probably think, wow, that's, that's awful cocky. But I was feeling that good at that point where I really thought I could shoot 900. And um, I got the next eight. And at this point, I have no idea that I am bowling for any sort of women's national record, world record. I think I'm shooting for my association record which is small potatoes, you know, thinking about really what was going on overall. But I think it's probably a good thing. I didn't know that because I probably would have been a lot nervous than I already was. But I have a lot of credit to give to my friend Jess Aiza, who bowls with me in league, who said, turn on your Facebook Live. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people would love to see this right now. That was even more impressive. Yes. Yeah, I mean, some people (laughs) really like that I did that, and some people are like, you should be concentrating on whatever, but I'm glad I did it because now I have that moment to look back on forever. You know what I mean? Well, I tell you what, so Aaron and I were I'm pretty sure we were together that evening. I think we were bowling. And, uh, we were seven in league that night. In the, one of the rare opportunities that I actually bowled. And uh, I think we just got, you know, right. You know, notifications started seeing on social media and we were like, wait, is this real? And so we, <laughs> You know, obviously we we clicked on it and it was like, oh snap! Like, not only is she going for eight ninety, but someone actually decided to live stream this 
like which is even more impressive. And then we're all sharing in it. And then, of course, for us, it made our jobs a little bit easier because we knew it was happening real time. So essentially, we, we knew we also had work to do <laughs> to, to share it and, and get this out and, and everything. So, um, man, just congrats like that. I don't know if they're I've never seen that in person. I don't know if I ever will. But, you know, I, I can only imagine what you were feeling that night it was it was crazy i mean i i said to myself i said to my dad i said i probably won't ever get a chance to go for 900 again you know or really at that point i wasn't going for 900 because i had already missed but i think i said i'd never get that close to 900 again and then three months went by and i had the front 33 and i have to say that night wasn't as picturesque as my 890 and what i mean by that is a couple trip fours trip i tripped a big four i remember that um I, I rolled a two i mean i had some shots in there that were like lucky you know what i mean when i bowled 890 i, I can say i i really didn't have any lucky strikes i i really was just it was my night everybody has those kind of nights it was a good night um the 879 was a little bit more i had some flukes you know what i mean and um, with that, my 10th shot of the third game, I got really fast because I was unbelievably nervous. Like, obviously, because at this point, I'm literally going for 900 now. Yes, there. <clears throat> um, and I left a two pin. So I was, I, I threw it really fast because I was nervous. And that was the end of that, made the spare. And then I struck on my, on my fill ball. So that was another night that was super exciting. And was really cool is that, you know, my dad's able to be there. My mom was able to watch because it was Facebook Live again. I got a lot more um, criticism when I went Facebook Live with the A79 because they were like, see, that's why you missed because you're not paying attention and, you know, you're doing this and doing that. And I can understand. I really can. But um, also just everybody in the league, super supportive. I mean, nobody stops in the league anymore with 300s. But this was obviously on a different scale to a lot of people, and it was cool. You will look behind you, and I literally like everybody is watching what you're doing, and that was that was cool. A lot of a lot of people think you'd be really nervous, and I was, but it was also cool to have that kind of support. That is awesome, and something else too to have uh, basically two opportunities at that. But we know a little right. bit about Liz Culkin, the PWBA Tour champion, the Team USA gold medalist, the record holder. Liz Culkin, the Yankees fan. <laughs> is, is, that, is that the toughest part about kind of what everything that's going on right now? Uh, opening day was just, just a couple days ago. Uh, just tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, for those who follow you on social, know you're a huge Yankees fan. Just kind of uh, tell us a little bit about that and how tough is that not being able to watch the uh, boys in the pinstripes right now? It's super depressing. I mean, I, I'm a pretty big sports uh, fan in general, but nothing really comes close to my love for baseball and especially New York Yankees baseball, obviously a super pump this year because, you know, Garrett Cole in the off season, um, just to see everybody play again. You've been, I've been watching spring training. I follow everything and it's, it's, it's a downer, man. I mean, I, I'm so excited to watch all the Yankee games and now obviously there, there's none of that. And, there's no anything. So, I mean, and obviously with all of this, it's the unknown. You don't know what the MLB is thinking. If they're thinking, okay, we're going to cut to a 90-game season or an 80-game season or, 
if we're going to go into the winter, which I don't even know how you play, you can't play baseball in the winter unless you're playing indoors all the time. But, you know, there, there's so much unknown what's going to happen. So that's upsetting. I know, obviously, it's necessary. It, it can't be happening right now, obviously, especially with the Yankees with New York City. I mean, I've heard talk, honestly, about them not even being able to play in the Bronx this year, period, where they may wow. play at the Steinbrenner Stadium in Tampa Bay. Now, for me, being a New Yorker, that's tough to hear because I feel like if you're the New York Yankees, you play in New York. Same thing with the Mets. Um, so I can't say if that's true or not. Obviously, that that may just be someone spreading something on Facebook, which is happening a lot. But um, I, I'm definitely looking forward to the day where I get to watch the Yankees again, whenever that may be. But in the meantime, um, they have the Yankees channel that they have a lot of classics on. So I've been watching a lot of Yankees classics. <laughs> I think they have one or two of those, one or two big yes, moments over do. the years. <laughs> uh, Maybe. You're, you're covered. You see any I actually have, um, Yankee tickets for May 26th. That ain't looking too hot, honestly. I mean, I know that's a couple months away, actually not a month away, a month and a half, and I just don't see that happening. So I'm curious how they may address people who had tickets as well. That's that's an interesting thing to think about. So, How did you become a Yankees fan? Like, was that a family um, kind of passed down? Was your dad a Yankees fan, your grandfather, et cetera? Funny enough, my grandfather is a Red Sox fan. It, don't know how that happened, but wow. – <laughs> um, my dad's a Yankees fan. My my mom's a Yankees fan. Uh, my mom actually, her family was was Mets. Like my uncles are Mets fans. It's kind of funny with where I am in New York State because you could be a Boston Red Sox fan, you could be a New York Mets fan, or you could be a Yankee fan. Uh, it's kind of I'm in that proximity of all those places where it's a mixture of people. But my dad's a Yankees fan. And we've just always been a Yankee family. Is it possible to have a neighborhood somewhere near you where there are Mets, Yankees, and Red Sox fans all in the same block? Is, is that a thing? <laughs> I think it could happen. It'd probably be a good thing if they didn't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got their flag hanging out you know, on, the, on their front porch and their window. I know we do. We got the Yankee, we got the Yankee flag flying. Excellent. NFL talk. Your team there is the Denver Broncos. How and why did this happen? <laughs> Considering you've been, I mean, you're from New York, right? You've been right. there entire life. My entire life, yeah. So, I mean, it has nothing to do with family with this because my dad's a Giants fan and my mom's a Packers fan. So, Ooh. yeah, Ooh. sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh. Nice lady, believe me. But, this is um, we got to talk. <laughs> The whole uh, Denver Bronco thing, as far as I can remember, um, growing up I had this pillow that my mom like bought at a garage sale or something, and I had the old Denver logo on it, the old D, like orange D that they had before they switched logos. And I actually still have that pillow. It's in my room. Um, it's just something that I grew up with. And then I, I remember asking my mom one day, what is this? Like, what is this logo? And, you know, she told me it's the Broncos. And just, I've been a fan of them from, from all I can remember, like seven, eight years old, you know, watching Jake Plummer. And I mean, I'm not, a lot of people thought that I was like a bandwagon fan when Manning got there. I used to get really aggravated because I remember Ed McCaffrey and Terrell Davis. And I mean, Shannon Sharp, you know, I'm not 
I would get so aggravated at them and I would throw out those players and be like, oh, okay, you're not, you're not. But, <laughs> um, it was very exciting to watch them win the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50, after having a couple short tries getting beat up in the Super Bowl. I remember watching them um, on a plane coming from a Nebraska tournament and they were just getting walloped in the Super Bowl against the Panthers and it was like so upsetting. But then I was able to go back and watch them win the Super bowl the following year and that was really awesome that was a lot of fun i know aaron had a specific question about uh, your your quarterback situation so, this is true is is true lock the real deal i think he may be i mean i'm not gonna lie aaron i was getting very frustrated with the broncos for a couple years here because we all of a sudden became like this landing spot for old mediocre quarterbacks and it was getting very aggravating with <laughs> case keenum and you know, Trevor Simeon, whoever, you know, whatever that we thought what that was going to be. I mean, it seemed like ever since Peyton Manning left, John Elway literally could not figure out what we were going to do at the quarterback position. Like, we weren't ready, okay? <laughs> we weren't ready. I mean, we kind of wanted Osweiler to fill that gap. We almost kind of groomed him to be that person, and then he left. He wanted more money, and then we had Someone Simeon. gave it to him. Yeah, I know exactly how that worked out for him. Not great. So, and then, um, you know, we had Simeon, and then we had Case Keenum, and then we have Joe Flacco. I mean, we had all these, like, Paxton Lynch, right, too? Paxton Lynch, yeah. I mean, I don't even know. I think he got hurt, and then he was just nobody. Right. I mean, I think we drafted him, actually. He did. Mm -hmm. to be a, a bad draft, but I, I'm I'm seeing that we, we Joe Flacco's no longer with us, and – I think that basically shows that um, John Elway really has a lot of faith in Drew Locke. And just seeing him the last couple games last year, I mean, we were out of it pretty early. But just seeing him perform, he looks like he's got some guts. So I'm excited about it. A couple, couple uh, last things, and uh, I'll save Aaron's. We've, we've deemed one specific question Aaron's for this podcast. So uh, we're going to save that one for last. But speaking of the Broncos, you know, Aaron and I and you, I think your mom's there. Um, we were in Richmond. Um, it was your birthday. And the Bears, of course, Aaron and I are Chicago Bears fans. You can see the Bears mini helmet in Aaron's uh, uh, yeah. corner there. Um, and so, you know, we didn't know that Liz was going to be there. We just happened to go to nice restaurants across the street from the hotel. And uh, we want to watch the game. We get there. It's the fourth quarter, and we see Liz there. So it's like an instant already, like, oh, okay, Liz Culkin is here. So we get to kind of <laughs> maybe throw jabs. We can talk a little little trash. And uh, so we're watching the game, and all of a sudden, it looks like the Broncos are going to win. And for those who may or may not have seen this game, may not remember, but it was a questionable call. Questionable call at the end, which gave us some <laughs> essentially some great field position to – Kick the game-winning field goal. Uh, you still, you still a little bitter about that situation, Liz Golkin? Totally salty. Yeah, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie because I actually, I was enjoying myself. It was my birthday. I was having a nice dinner with my mother, and you know, it was nice to see you guys. All you know, Tanil and all you guys were there, and it was, it was like friendly at first. And now I'm feeling pretty good because they really did look like the Broncos were gonna win that game. And on top been. of it, I had like a friend uh, waiter that was also a Broncos fan that was like on my side. And then all of a sudden you and Aaron like came up watching the TV and, you know, I felt outnumbered. I'm like, dang. And then, I mean, we ended up losing, which is obviously the, the depressing part, but it was fun. 
it was fun to experience that all together, although you guys were definitely on the favorable side of it with winning the game. So, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, if, uh, for me personally, if the White Sox and the Yankees somehow meet in the ALCS, uh, we'll, we'll figure out a way to uh, either go or watch these games live in some fashion. We could go to the Field of Dreams game that they're playing out there. I forgot about that. <laughs> You're probably just going to be about 10 grand a seat. No big deal. Right. It'll be fine. <laughs> I forgot about that. Indeed. Hey, cool. Aaron. Mr. Williams. All right, Liz. Uh, kind of our final question before we wrap up here. Uh, with everything kind of going on today, a lot of folks staying home, got a little extra time. What is the Liz Culkin binge watch recommendation? Oh, okay. So <laughs> I've um, been watching a lot of Netflix and Hulu and all that good stuff. I'm an office girl myself. I, lock, I watch a lot of The Office. I've watched it a billion times, but the big thing right now is the Tiger King. <laughs> okay, I'm here sure, we go. I'm sure a lot of people have seen that on Facebook. I mean, it's kind of taken yeah. over the whole thing. I actually, I, I applaud Netflix a little bit because it's actually given people um, a little different bit of a route than to talk about the, the pandemic that's going on. They have a route to talk about Joe Exotic, which is the main character in Tiger King. <laughs> it's a legitimate documentary, so... I am, I'm a big documentary person. I really do like to watch the real life things. I'm very into like the true crime shows, like Forensic Files. I've probably watched every single like serial killer documentary on Netflix. Um, I've just always really liked those kind of crime shows. So I would definitely say if you're into it, um, watch any serial killer documentary on Netflix and definitely check out The Tiger King. All right, I, I've seen nice. Tiger King. I've gone through the – it's just the seven episodes, right? There's no additional season. Yeah, no, that's it. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Emil, Emil's going to watch it at some point. But I am. He, at some what, point. He, what he doesn't know is that Joe Exotic actually tried to run for president or actually did. He did. For real? <laughs> for real. Wow. Okay. And the governor of Oklahoma. And, and he got a, like 20% of votes in Oklahoma. <laughs> But is, wow. there any, is there any scenario where you would vote for Joe Exotic for president? Me? Probably this not. This is oh, okay. This. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have to say it. Probably not. Probably not a good idea. I can't imagine how Joe Exotic would deal with something like this that's been going on. So I'm going to say probably not. <laughs> I, I would have stayed away from that, too. So. <laughs> it's an excellent name, though, to run for, I would imagine. It is. It is. This thing just becomes even more or more and more intriguing each time I hear about it. So at, at some point, yes, I will yeah, take in the Tiger King. And that's a very Absolutely. small part of the story, too, which is the crazy part. <laughs> very right. small, very minute. Well, Aaron, I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, that uh, Liz mentioned the office. So yes. now, now we know that you can reference uh, you know, the office all the time when we, when we see Liz on the road. You definitely can. It's one of my favorite shows. I've seen it probably in full like four or five times. So definitely throw me all the office jokes, all the memes. I will think they are all very funny. So <laughs> well, Daniel Farish will be very excited about that as well. He's uh, probably the biggest on our on our team, as far as office fans, we actually went to. I can see that. Okay. We actually yeah, went to uh, Scranton. Uh, we were at uh, a few events in Allentown, 
and we actually went to Scranton, saw the sign, saw the paper mill and all that stuff. So that was pretty cool. But Daniel was severe geeking out over that. And so that was, uh, that was pretty cool. To <laughs> I see. remember seeing that now that you say, I remember seeing that. Favorite character on the office. Oof. The easy answer is Michael Scott, but I have to say Pam. Pam's one of my favorite. Just her personality. She's easygoing. She's got that dry sense of humor. And um, she's probably my favorite character. People are probably going to get all over me about this, but Aaron knows that I am still very, very new to The Office. And in fact, if not for Aaron Smith, I still probably wouldn't have seen an episode uh, to this day at this point. So that'll probably be something I will take in uh, to binge is the all of the seasons of uh, of The Office. But the episodes that I have seen, uh, I've, I've laughed hysterically. So I know it's funny. Yes. I mean, I think it is one of those shows you either like it or you don't. Like, I know my, I know my mom doesn't like it. She doesn't like the camera. Like, it like, gives her a headache and stuff like that. I mean, you either like it and you think it's funny or you think it's stupid. I think it's one of those shows. Um, I think majority think it's funny, but I think the more you watch it, the more hooked on it you get. Fantastic. Uh, Aaron, any final thoughts? Uh, nothing for me. Just uh, Liz, we definitely appreciate giving us the time for the for us and for the uh, obviously the Bull TV audience as well. We're looking forward uh, to obviously next time we can see you out on the lanes to uh, be seeing that. But for, for right now, continue to stay safe and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and on behalf of uh, obviously everyone here, Bull TV, our fans, viewers, etc., please definitely thank you uh, for all of your you're doing for not only the great people of your state, your city, but um, you know you're you're doing the same thing that a lot of other people are doing around the country, and we we definitely appreciate it. All right, no problem. Yeah, the only way we're going to get through this is together, so that's how I view it. So no problem. Stay safe, everybody. All right, folks, that was episode two of the PWBA podcast. Again, I want to thank uh, PWBA Tour champion Liz Colkin for AA Ron Aaron Smith. My name is Emil Williams Jr. We look forward to seeing you soon. Episode three of the PWBA podcast will be on the way soon. Be on the lookout here on Bull TV.